Father, again, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and mercy and grace and all your blessings. And we thank you for your test. Father, we pray that we'll take this portion of your word and that you'll use it to nourish our souls today, to encourage us to uh, walk the straight and narrow in the middle of a crooked and perverted world. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 2 Peter 3.17 says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, this is prognosco, it's basically saying he has shared some some of his omniscience with us and told us what is getting ready to happen because chapter 2 and 3 have been about some of the false teachers of the last days and what their message is going to be. And so... Um, I see him playing with things back there, so I was just checking to be sure I'm still on up here. Okay. It says, Keep being on guard, verse 17, lest having been carried away by the deceit of unprincipled men, you may fall from your own firmness. So here's a final warning from Peter. This is the, the last words that he is writing, and uh, these are important words. In verse 18, this is a verse that should be emblazoned on our in our minds, in our hearts, our souls, not just on our refrigerators or, or uh, hangings on the front door. This is, a, this is an important passage. It says grow. And it's a present tense. It's the word oxano. And it's a, an imperative. So it's not designed to be an optional part of the Christian life. And it's also telling us that there is growth in the Christian life. Some people view salvation to include growth, but they are actually two different things. Salvation from the penalty for sin starts us on this path of growth. It is called the new birth, being born again. Here we are with a, with a, spiritual, a spiritual birth. But from there, just as we grow physically, we're supposed to grow spiritually. And we're supposed to grow up. That's why you see references throughout the scripture of to the little children. Not just talking to toddlers and things, but there are different words in the Greek, especially, that look at different age brackets. And so he, we, we go through a stage after salvation where we're really just like little newborn babies. And then we go through other stages where we're toddlers. We're getting up, learning how to walk. And then we become teenagers that know it all. We don't need any more help. you know. And then hopefully, eventually, we grow up. And so this is what the present tense is saying. Keep on doing this because we can never get too mature and we've never really, I don't think, reach our potential. When he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. And that'll be at the rapture when we get a new body and it'll be all at once. But in this life, we're just going to be, we're going to be walking, we're going to be growing, we're going to be learning because... How many of you faced something totally weird this last week that you never anticipated? Okay, we, we have, right? I mean, we've run into those things. How do you handle it? Well, see, do you handle it with, with the truth? Do you claim a promise? Do you, do you call on the Lord? Have you, did it make you afraid? Did it not make you afraid? However it happened, you can, you can grow from that. And when we look at life in such a way to say these circumstances, events, all these things that come in, they're designed for our growth. Uh, and I, Ephesians 2.10 is just one of the many verses that's there. But keep on growing in grace. There's no definite article here. So it says literally in grace, and it looks at the quality 
of grace. Now, grace means somebody else bought and paid for it. Okay, somebody else bought and paid for it, and to you it's a free gift. And that's what the Lord did. You can't earn your way into heaven. You can't work your way into heaven. You can't get there by any means of your own means other than faith. But faith is a non-meritorious act. That's why God displayed that. Because there's no merit in faith. It's all about the object of the faith. You can believe a lot of stuff that's wrong. We all do. So what you believe in is what's important. What is the object? And so... You know, if I want somebody that promised me eternity, I want somebody that's conquered sin and death. There's really only one that meets that. So I I choose to put my faith in him because the object is strong enough to carry out his promise to me. So <clears throat> he says, grow in grace. You go through the week and go, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have thought that. Okay, something happens on the TV and you just blurt out words that that have no love in them whatsoever. And I mean, they just, and it happens and you go, why did I do that? Why? And so hopefully you learn from it. You grow in grace because as you, as you received him, Colossians 2, 6, so you're to walk in him. How do we receive him? By grace, through faith. How do we walk in him? By grace. Because we're still going to keep messing up through faith. We renew, the, we renew our focus on the right object of faith. And then it says in knowledge, gnosis. Now a lot of us got the gnosis part of it early on in our lives. We wanted all the knowledge. And we got this grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we left the grace out of it. Because uh, truth without grace is too harsh. Grace without truth is too easy. And Jesus came full of grace and truth. And so we're to become like him. We're to be loaded with truth, but we're also to be loaded with grace. He says, and knowledge, intellectual comprehension, keep on studying, keep on learning about the word of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think this is a Granville Sharp, which it says our Lord, even Savior, Jesus Christ. It sets up an equation. Our God is is Jesus. Jesus is God who became man. And it says, grow in the, in the grace and knowledge of, of him. To him be the glory. Now, how many times do we want the glory? What was the Pharisees, one of their biggest problems? They offer long prayers on the street corners, seeking to be recognized by men. Truly, they have their reward in full. They, when we do things for self-glory, then we're doing it for the wrong reasons. One of the things that, that is said in Philippians 2.3 is to, to consider other people more important than yourself. It says in John 8.54, Jesus said, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. See, that was probably one of the biggest tests he had because he knew who he was. Okay? And when he did things, it was to glorify the Father, not to draw personal attention and glory to him. That would come later, after the cross. Now, <clears throat> he says, to him be the glory, both now and to thee is actually a day of eternity, because there's no the day of eternity. Eternity is eternity. 
So he says basically forever. It's another way of saying forever. So as a reminder, okay, we've got four commands in this final section from verse 14 to 18. As a reminder, be diligent to be ready for his return. Okay, when's it going to happen? I don't know. I don't know why he hadn't come back yet. But I do know it is going to happen. So be diligent. Be ready for his return. The next thing is consider our salvation. Because we're in the middle of a world that just seems to be spinning out of control. But it's actually spinning into place. So we can be thankful that the biggest problem we'll ever face in life is eternity. And it's been solved. These things are written, do you believe, in the name of Jesus Christ that you might know you have eternal life. There are a lot of theologies floating around that you can't really know. You have eternal life. So a t- correct theology is one that you can know. And how do you, how do you, can you know with a certainty? How, how does that happen? Because you believe God, you believe his word, and that is, becomes object of your faith. So you can know it with a certainty. So there's, and I'm not going to rabbit trail that, I hope. That <clears throat> is to a lot of major thoughts out there is uh, you can't know. You can't know if you're elect or not. You can't know if you've done enough good works or not. You can't know. Well, you can. If you can't know any of those things, where's your assurance of salvation go with that? had a conversation with some folks yesterday about, look what happened to Europe with, with uh, Calvinistic theology, which is you're either elect or you're not elect. You, you know what that does? It breeds a fatalism that doesn't make any difference. What's happened to Europe? Just look at the fruit of that. I don't know why people don't and say, I don't want any part of that. I don't want any part of that. Consider our salvation. Consider our salvation. We've been saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It's God's gift. It's not of ourselves lest any should boast. Be on guard. That was the third command. That was verse 17. And this command is to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So four commands we find here. And if we can remember these things and make them a part of us, we can kind of use them as checkpoints for us. We can kind of use them as checkpoints along the way to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice that we're to grow in both grace and knowledge of our Lord, which indicates developing a closer relationship with him we we sometimes read lord we read jesus jesus christ we read it so many times that it that we don't stop to think about what it really means well what does it mean because look at the titles that we've got here four titles of messiah the first one is lord he's our authority and he's due obedience When we find something that is prescribed in the scripture, then we're supposed to comply with it. If it's addressed to us, if it has application to the church, we're not supposed to go out and offer up animal sacrifices. That's over and done with now. So, But if it is designed for us, then that's what we're supposed to do. And that's because he's Lord. okay, King of kings, Lord of lords, we owe him that obedience. And then, as Savior, 
He is our rescuer. And he is due Thanksgiving. We just got the got to celebrate Thanksgiving not too long ago. Some of us are still hurting from all the food. But Eucharisteo, um, <laughs> Eucharist. Charis is a word that means grace. And you means good. So it's talking about the goodness of grace. That's what Thanksgiving is all about. That's how you grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we're called to do that. As Savior, he's our rescuer, and he is due thanksgiving. Give thanks in all things. How many times do we see that in the scripture? As Jesus, he's our brother, and he's due relationship. Now, I know sometimes siblings don't get along well with each other. Uh, I have one brother... Um, we got along well as long as he did what I said. <laughs> Younger brother, you know how that <laughs> pecking order goes. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, here's the older one, the middle one, the, whatever. There was just two of us in there, and uh, we had some conversations, otherwise known as fights back then. When and and we we got we got through them, but still we have a relationship. He's in California. I don't see him very often anymore. But we still have a relationship with one another. Jesus is our brother, right? He's not just our Lord, okay? He is our Savior, and he is our brother. So he's due relationship. And how do you come into relationship with him? Well, you learn what he's got to say because he is the older brother, okay? And he is God. But you learn what he has to say. And then you try to follow it. And he says, then he says, if you love me if you keep my commandments. And my commandments are not difficult. What is his commandment? I want you to love God and love one another. And you get those two, two right, things fall into place. You leave those out, they don't. He's our brother and he's due relationship. As Christ... He's the anointed one, and he's due awe, reverence, respect. That's who he is. So he's our friend, and he, let's see, he's our friend, he's our brother, even though he's the king. That's uh, one of the songs that we sing along the way. As he is the anointed one, Christos, and he is due awe. He's the one that took our place. Now, <clears throat> spiritual growth, which is similar to the physical growth we experience uh, in this life um, I'm reminded of the, the Apostle John uh, frequently uh, in 1 John when he, when he writes that he goes little children he's not talking to four year olds <laughs> he, he's talking to adults little children did Jesus call his apostles little children yes <laughs> So John's kind of passing it on. Now, he's saying pay attention. Believers are expected to grow up spiritually. Say we're going to grow up physically, hopefully, one way or another. We're going to grow up physically. We're going to mature. But we are called to grow up spiritually. From Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14. Now, the if you start thinking back through that chapter... You, you find out because this is where he spells out some 
uh, spiritual gifts. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastor teachers. Then he said, why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. And then he says, as a result, we are no longer to be children. It's Paul writing to the group at Ephesus. Tossed here and there by waves. Because children tend to go on their emotions and they get bounced around by however they feel at any particular point in time. He says, we're not supposed to be that way as believers. He says, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Winds of doctrine blow through. All of us here are old enough with maybe a couple of exceptions are a little younger than we are but we've been around long enough to see all kinds of stuff come through and be be uh, you could call it a wind of doctrine it's here today and gone tomorrow and doctrine last that's one of the things that it does it's it's truth and it has and it lasts and he says but speaking the truth in love that's how we're supposed to do things Now, a lot of times we're good at speaking the truth and leave the love out of it. But it says speaking the truth in love. So when we're speaking truth, we want to, we, if we got to stop, pray, whatever we got to do, say, Lord, I want to do this in love. Has anybody ever came to you and said, now I'm speaking to you in love? (laughs) It's kind of like... Reagan's nine scariest words ever uttered. <laughs> I'm here from the government and I'm here to help you. And so that's it's kind of like somebody comes to you and I'm, I'm speaking to you in love. And <laughs> right away, if you've been around very long, the walls go up. I mean, that's just the way it, the way it happens because you know it when you see it. So he says, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects every part of our being, to him. He's the standard of growth. Standard of growth is not a man. It's not a woman. It's it's not an ideologue. It's about growing up to him. Be an imitator of God. Ephesians 5, 1 is the verse coming up. Paul had already written, be an imitator of me just as I am a Christ in 1 Corinthians 11. So he says, we're to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ... From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We want the body to be built in loving one another, loving God and loving one another. And that's actually given to all pastors, all church leaders, everywhere. That's what they should want to see. Now, we should want to see a true spiritual love. We try to define it because the the world has so redefined it into something that it biblically is not. But we want to, I guess you call it spiritual love, agape love. It's doing what's right and best when you, even when you don't feel like it. Now, Jesus himself set the pattern about growth. Luke 2.40, one of these little passages that gets inserted in there. There's the first two chapters of Luke is all about his birth and everything else. 240 is a transition into into his growth stage. And it says, And the child continued to grow and become strong 
increasing in wisdom. Kind of defined how he was getting strong and growing, didn't it? By increasing in wisdom. That was a spiritual issue. And the grace of God was upon him. Oh, Jesus learning the ropes as a kid. It's about the only insight we get into that. And if you pick up a book that starts telling you about the life of Jesus in his early years, run from it. It's not there, and it's it's <laughs> the. I can think of a couple. One's called the Urantia book, and it'll tell you all about the life of Jesus in his early years and about all the sins he committed. Okay, which disqualifies him to be the savior. Okay, it's one of the books right out of the mouth of the devil. Now, how did he grow at grace? Did he need the grace? Or did he see how much other people needed the grace? I think that training portion of him was, I think he came to understand how difficult in his humanity it is to grant grace to fallen people. Have you ever been in that position? Where you've been hurt, where you've been wronged? And I mean, and, and just beat half to death in many different ways how do you show grace how do you get it out of your head because sometimes we let people live rent free in our heads they don't need to be there we need grace grace to say that's in the past okay didn't Paul write forgetting what lies behind pressing forward to what lies ahead See, that even forgetting the good stuff that lies behind. We're called to grow. Now, <clears throat> growth requires the intake of God's Word. It requires the intake of God's Word. Some people think spirituality is all about some type of mysticism. And doing that, sometimes they end up in uh, Wiccan, white witchcraft, all kinds of weird stuff. No, uh, Christianity is not found in the Wiccan religion. Not at all. We're taught we need the intake of what God has ordained to be his word. 1 Peter 2 verses 1 to 3, it says, Therefore putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn babes. Isn't that a neat word? Okay, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word. So that by it you can grow in respect to salvation. If you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. That's a pretty neat passage. See, Titus was already floating around. And he says the kindness of God is what leads us to repentance. So I think with, when Peter makes this comment here, he's the people have probably already read about what Paul had written to Titus and it's already been circulated and he goes if, are you saved already? Okay, if you're saved you're born again how do you start? Long for the pure milk of the word I don't think that ever goes away Why? So that Jesus takes up more of our life So that Jesus takes up more of our life <clears throat> This is a verse that just kind of jumps out at you 
because this is John, third chapter of John. First chapter of John is all about John the Baptist, that he came and he was baptizing and he baptized the Lord and the Lord called disciples and all that. John chapter 2, he turned the water into wine at Cata of Galilee. John gets, gets John the Baptist gets thrown into prison, okay, <clears throat> and uh, is getting ready to get thrown into prison. And um, he is, uh, they're, they're coming to him and he's told them, right? This is the one I've told you about, whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. Okay, what does he say here? He must increase, I must decrease. Now, John was a wild man loudmouth. Got him thrown in jail. We all, we all know that. John was, was kind of a wild man. Jesus said, did, did, you, did you expect to see somebody as weird as him out there? with the skins and all that other stuff. And he said, he must increase. John knew his role. He knew his role was done. When he knew it was done, when he said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, I think he knew his role was done. But there were still the disciples of John who had not left John like he told them and started following Christ. And so he's trying to tell them once again, he has to increase. You need to go follow him. I must decrease. And I, I, the humility there uh, in, in this wild man that had such a wide following is just displayed beautifully in that verse. People need to follow him, not me. Not me. I must decrease in popularity. And I, I see that as a real humility. Now growth will result from walking in a manner... Worthy of our Lord. From Colossians 1 verses 9 and 10. This little book of Colossians is so much stuff to be found in it. Now, some areas of the Christian walk come easy for us. And others are, we view as impossible. Uh, in fact, some of the ones we think that are easy, if we really stopped and looked, we'd ask if we filled any of these. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Okay, joy. Do all things without grumbling. Peace. Am I at peace? Patience. Am I patient with people? Consistently. <laughs> I have my moments. Patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Against such things there is there is no law. The, some things come easy. Some parts of that list come easy. But I find it interesting. It says the fruit of the Spirit, and it's a singular for fruit. Now, English people look at it and go, well, that's just a collective singular. It's a collective singular looking at a plural. Because I've seen, I don't know how many times, people talk about the fruits of the Spirit. It's not what it says. It says fruit, singular, of the Spirit. Now, normally you might say, well, maybe that is a collective singular, but if you just go back two chapters, you find out Paul made a big deal about a singular and a plural concerning the seed of Abraham, not seeds. So when you find another word that frequently you see as a plural and it's specified in a singular, see, we can that each one of the fruit of the Spirit can be counterfeited individually, not collectively. 
that's often left out. It's called fruit of the Spirit. If you're being led of the Spirit, it all gets it all gets employed, used, manifested at the same time. Because we're real good at taking like Ten Commandments and say, well, I'm good at eight of them. A couple of them I've had trouble with. Paul said, I'm good at nine of them. I did real good till I got to the you shall not covet. <laughs> and then I, I messed that one up real bad, Romans 7. So keeping the law is keeping every part of it as is spelled out clearly in the book. And so if we're going to be manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, we want all of it. Now we analyze it kind of individually. Okay, am I doing this for our own self-evaluation? We look at it and you know, am I patient toward people? Am I gentle? Am I kind? Am I all these things? And then we kind of say no. And we, I think, end up saying, Lord, I can't do this without you. Okay? And I think that's where we need to be. That's where we need to be. Colossians 1.9, For this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask you to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. See here, don't we have knowledge pop up in here again? In all spiritual wisdom and understanding so you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing, as our word growing, oxano, Growing in the knowledge of God. Okay? That's what we're, we're supposed to do. It'll result from walking in a worthy manner. So you study the word in order to live it. You don't study the word in order to make it part of your cerebral cortex up here. You study the word in order to be able to apply it. Jesus said in John 7, 17, If any man is willing to do his will, that's a verse that grabbed me a long time ago back in seminary because I was all about accumulation of knowledge. Okay? I, I really wanted to know. And that wasn't a bad thing. But when it's done to the exclusion of other things, then it becomes a bad thing. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Love builds up. So I want to learn the Word of God in order to live it. And Jesus said, if anyone is willing to do his will, not just to know it, then he'll know the teaching. This is an if and a then. If you want to know what God really has to say, you have to be willing to do it. Then he'll know the teaching. He says, whether it is from God or whether I speak for myself. He's, he's not glorifying himself. And that was just another example. Growth will result from walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. God is the ultimate agent of spiritual growth. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 you know, uh, Paul has done, uh, he, he has written quite an epistle there. The church at Corinth had been in existence for about five years. They have, were evangelized. They got started. They had all the spiritual gifts. And then they ended up, uh, they ended up with Apollos as their pastor. And if you get to chapter 16, you find out they ran him off. And he's the one that told Paul about this. And Paul writes this letter. And then Apollos refused to go back. 
He said, you can find somebody else. I'd like to see that final conversation between Paul and Apollos when Paul is trying to talk him into going back and Apollos is saying, no, I'm not going back. Uh, I don't like those people. They don't like me. I'm out of here. So Apollos doesn't go back. So Paul starts off and he, uh, he, he writes an epistle that basically is an epistle of correction for a church. And he writes the epistle in such a way that that he uh, teaches the assurance of salvation along the way. How do you do that? Nowhere did he tell them to get saved again. In chapter 1, verse 2, he calls them saints to the saints who are at Corinth. Okay? They were saints, but they weren't saintly. So he's addressing the lack of saintliness that that they have. So Paul writes that, and what are they arguing about in chapter 1? Who baptized who? What were they arguing about in chapter 2? They didn't understand how to understand spiritual things. Chapter 3 was about eternal rewards. But he is using this, in chapter 3 he says you're carnal. You're fleshly. You're acting just like the world. You don't need to be that way. And he says, he says, I planted. That's Paul giving the gospel. Apollos watered. He was their pastor for a number of years. And he tried to teach them and to get them out of spiritual babyhood. But they would rather keep, keep um, uh, uh, one foot with God and the other foot in the world. And usually they were... Both feet in the world trying to live. And he says, but God was causing the growth. So whatever growth you had, we did our jobs as we should, but real growth comes from God. And that's what we need to see because he's the one that we have these tests that come into our life. They're designed for us because he loves us. And so when they come into our life and we learn to consider it all joy when we encounter various trials, we pass the test. And we grow. Now, he says, So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. That's interesting, isn't it? The evangelist and the pastor, he says, they're nothing. But God who causes the growth. See, it's all up to... God's the one that brings it about. Now, God will cause your harvest to increase. He will cause your harvest to increase. From 2 Corinthians chapter 9. As you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Hopefully that verse says, this is what I'm supposed to do. Keep on growing in what? Grace. Just like Jesus learned about grace. Knowledge we keep on studying. Of our Lord, our King. There who is worthy of obedience. Our Lord Jesus, our brother who is worthy of relationship. Christ, our, our Savior who is worthy of, um, who's worthy of awe and respect. And we keep on growing. He's going to cause our harvest to increase. 2 Corinthians 9. Uh, chapter 8 and 9 are probably the two biggest chapters in the New Testament on giving. Because the, the church is under the... Uh, principle of grace giving. Okay, <clears throat> so hmm, we know we we learn from him Second Corinthians eight nine. Though he was rich, he became poor that we through him might become rich. 
So we, we, he has supplied for us everything we need for life and godliness. So we give back to him. That's how we're supposed to respond. He says in 2 Corinthians 9, at 5 actually, he's let your offering be without greed. Okay, Let it be with generosity. Verse 7, let each give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly nor out of necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver. And then he says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. As you give, as you invest in his, his work, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. See, this is when you give, God's going to re- replace it to some degree. But you look at, I have a question. Barnabas came late, every, sold his land, laid it all at the apostles' feet. Did God give that back to him? No indication. Not on this earth. See, he will make grace abound for in everything so you can have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, and his righteousness abides forever. Now the one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase, this is our oxano, cause to grow the harvest of your righteousness. He's basically saying, invest in, in his work. You'll be enriched in everything. What that just say? In everything? You'll be enriched in everything for all, I, I translate the word generosity. You have liberality in the English, and I don't like to use that term. But anyway, for all generosity, through which is producing thanks through and through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Now he had just told the Corinthian church, "You promised to send an offering to the Jerusalem saints." Okay, and I want it to be ready when I come. I don't want to take up an offering. I don't want to have to call you out and say, you gave your word on this, and where is it? I don't want to do that. So he writes this letter, and he says, when, whenever I show up, whenever we show up, have the offering ready. And also have two people that will go with us. Paul made himself accountable. Because money is, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so he knew that He wanted to be accountable when he set it up and he wanted two people from the church at Corinth to accompany them to Jerusalem to be sure that it was actually given for what it was requested. And that's the way that that I think all churches, all non-profits, all mission organizations, they ought to be. It's called accountability and it should be that way. Making all grace abound to you increase the harvest of righteousness. Now, we have finished up Second Peter, and I know some of you are going, praise the Lord. But with this is, there's kind of been a method to this, as we started off over a year ago, looking at the revelation of what to look for in the last days, and how to live in the last days. How then shall we live? This all of it, this course. 
Then we jumped into James, the fifth chapter, and saw that the rich are going to be a big part of the problems of the last days. And we see that going on right now. I mean, people trying to control the way the world goes by by their money. And um, the rich, yeah, they're, needless to say, a problem. Some of them want us to eat bugs. I guess you've seen that. Um, that I don't plan for that to be on my diet. Unless the Lord calls me to be a John the Baptist and eat locust and wild honey. Then, okay, yes, Lord, I'll do that. Okay? But it, it's not my first choice of food. I've, I've looked at locusts come through the yard and go, I'm not ready for that one. <laughs> Probably real good. If you're real hungry, it would be real good. And then the rebellious of the last days. In the last days, difficult times will come and will be. Lovers of self, lovers of money, ungrateful, unholy, disobedient to parents. It describes the last days to us. And it also tells us that the word of God, I believe in the context, is going to be one of the most attacked things because all scripture is God-breathed. That passage is found at the end of chapter 3. And has the word of God become attacked? Now you're, you're almost ridiculed. If you believe in total, complete inspiration of the scripture, people turn the eye to you, turn the face to you. They look at you and go, you're crazy. Well, I'd just soon be with the crazy people. And then the rewards. Paul writing about this, the last chapter that Paul writes in his life. Beautiful picture. And he says, in the future there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. That the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. He says, be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Yes, it is toward pastors, but we're all pastors to one degree or another, depending on who God has allocated to us to to have influence over. The rewards. Then we find the results, and that's 2 Peter. The results of what is going on, we see that uh, what's going on in the last days is eventually going to lead to a total removal of the present heavens and earth and the creation of a new one. God is not slow as people count slowness, but he's patient toward all of us. Not wishing for any to perish, but all to be saved and come to a full knowledge of the truth. And the last one we're going to look, or the one we're going to look at next, is the reminder. I, I love this placement of the book of Jude. That's where we're going next week. Because it's kind of a walkthrough of the Bible. It's an outline of the Bible. It goes all the way back to Genesis and it takes us all the way through. And it's a reminder. It's kind of a summary. It's always good to be able to do a, a Bible walkthrough. The old pastor that was one of the people that influenced a lot of us growing up named Ralph Braun wrote a book called Walk Through the Bible. And then it was kind of stolen and made popular by somebody else and and um, sold a lot of them. But we, we constantly should think about 
What has the Bible had to say? Its whole plan of redemption has been laid out and laid out so beautifully. And sometimes we just need to review the high points. What are the ten major events in, in history? You know, and where do they fit? What is the sequence of those events? And what we look at and see is that God has been faithful through every one of them. He has kept his promises and he is going to continue to keep his promises. So Jude's going to be a reminder about what he has done throughout the course of history. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day, for your mercy and grace. We thank you for each other, for this time together, for your blessings, for your test. And Father, we pray that you'll continue to to, uh, watch over us. Father, I pray that we'll have that desire to indeed grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and that we will act upon that and that you will bless it. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.